Welcome to the Wisdom of Coaches podcast. This is Coach Trevo coming to you at 75 miles an hour down Interstate 70 in Kansas. I am joined today by my colleagues not flying down the interstate uh, at close to 100 miles an hour, uh, Coach Faulting and Coach Brisson. Guys, how are you doing today? I'm doing all right. How about y'all? Now, now you just gave me an idea that we should film a podcast it, it, all in the car. <laughs> oh, that, yeah. that was the original thought was us all in the car driving down there like Baton Rouge all the time and people were like I bet y'all's conversations in that car are hilarious y'all should have a podcast and this is a the idea all those people <laughs> yeah <laughs> or or you know whatever the opposite of a tribute is <laughs> a lampoon this is, this is a smooth dump for all those people maybe <laughs> <laughs> well, a lampoon I'm not yeah. The only lampoon I know is national. Yeah, I mean, ditto. <laughs> For some Chevy Chase joke. I, I, unfortunately, I haven't seen that movie, which is which is disappointing. I know. <laughs> oh God bless. Uh. <laughs> oh, so we have a great show lined up for you guys today. We're going to tackle our Q and A of the week. And then uh, I'll be kind of turning it over to uh, Coach Faulting to lead us through the other interesting tidbits. My phone service seems to have uh, gone the way of Garmin and is kind of uh, not working properly uh, at the moment. You know, go figure. So it's probably all of these uh, wind farms out here giving me that COVID 5G stuff everybody keeps talking about <laughs> on the internet. <laughs> oh, Lord. So Good times. I think it's. It's, it's my turn for the question, and uh, I kind of prefaced this earlier with you guys, so I got to read a little bit of information. Uh, I will try to read it pretty quickly to kind of get to the basis for my um, question today. But uh, on May 1st, 2010, at the Stanford University track meet, uh, 13 guys lined up for the 10,000 meters with Galen Rupp planning to uh, set the American 10K record. Okay. Uh, at the end of the race, uh, Galen was upset by Chris Selinski, who crossed the line in 26:59, shattering the previous American record. Rupp finished fourth, placing uh, fourth place in a time of 27:10, also breaking the previous record of 27:13. Also in the race, Sam Chalinga uh, of Liberty University broke the NCAA record when he ran 27:08. And finally, Canadian Simon Baru broke the Canadian 10K record when he ran 27-23. One race, four new records. In total, 13 men ran their personal best at the 10,000 meter that night. Um, And this uh, excerpt I'm reading from, the author claims that on that night, all 13 men could say, hey, I'm a winner during this race. So it poses an interesting question. Uh, in our sport, um, you guys agree or disagree that you can be a winner in our sport without actually winning the race? Okay, so. Well, I have pretty decent phone reception at the moment. So if you guys will allow me, I'll, I'd like to hop in uh, to start things off. Go for it. So a, a very famous man's dad, or a very famous man once told his dad, you told me if you're not first, you're last. And that famous man's dad said, man, that doesn't make sense, son. I was drunk when I said that. You can be second. You can be third. You can even be fourth. 
I don't know why that uh, that came up. Uh, yeah, you know, Ricky Bobby, uh, Talladega Nights. Uh, you, you know, I... did we lose him? We, after he bragged about the uh, great reception. That's a, a very interesting philosophical. <laughs> Go ahead, Dad. Uh, you know what, Coach Falting? I think we need to let him get his reception back. You want to take this I, one for a bit? I agree. Y'all go ahead. All right. Uh, <laughs> so, I, I, being a guy that has coached cross country uh, for 15 years and trying to keep people motivated from your, your number one runner to your number 30 runner, I, I think one of the good selling points of, of our sport, whether it be in cross country or on the track, is that you're always competing against yourself no matter who else is in the race, you know, and that I can market to kids that like, you know, if you ran a 30 minute 5k, you know, one weekend, um, and then the next weekend you ran, you know, a 29 minute 5k, well, you, you got the experience of getting a minute faster in a race, you know, irregardless of what place you finished in the race. Um, and in fact, we have celebrated kids on our team that, you know, if I have a kid one week run, not to the best of his ability, he finishes fourth in a race, you know, we might not celebrate that. But the next week at a huge meet, he might run a minute faster and finish, you know, 52nd. And we're carrying him off the field, you know, <laughs> because of, of what he's done. So I think for our sport, yes, there is something to be said for uh, this idea of like winning without necessarily having to actually win the event itself. You know, so Brissant, what do you think? I do agree with that. And I like that with this sport, you have the option of having this personal goal where you might not, you know, get first, but you still accomplish something. But then you can, on the other side of things, say, I am at this level now where I can potentially get on the podium or even win the race. And then you can make that goal for yourself. So this race, or sorry, this sport allows you, based on what level you're at, what race you're going for, it allows you to choose do I want to make a more personal goal for myself or do I actually want to compete with the other people and make it like a, you know, first, second, third sort of race? So this, this sport allows you to choose, which I really like about that. So one of the things I think about um, as well is, you know, when I'm designing a schedule uh, for races and meets, I could very easily design a schedule where our team goes like undefeated for a season you know, um, but maybe at the expense of getting challenged and getting better and dealing with adversity versus I could make a schedule where, you know, our team might not win very often at all, but, but using the word percent use by competing with better athletes, pull themselves to times they wouldn't have accomplished going the other route, you know. So in that sense, you know, percent, would you – you know, if you were a high schooler, would you prefer the, the undefeated regular season uh, or, you know, the the PR of time, you know, at the end, looking back and going, man, that's the fastest I could have could have run at the end of this year? Well, I think that depends a lot on the, like, the type of people that you have in your group. Because there's some people where if they don't see number one next to their name, they're like, oh, I'm not good enough. Regardless of if they're getting better personally, they have this external motivation of, I want this big number next to my name. And that's all they care about. But then you have these other people where they understand 
that running isn't just about beating other people. It's about getting better as a runner. And so if you have that sort of mentality in your, you know, in your running group, then you can afford to give your athletes more of a challenge and see where you can push them in more, you know, difficult situations. So I think that depends a lot on the type of athletes that you have under you. I don't know if you agree with that or not, but that's what I, I think. I would like to try to find the athletes that, that, that go with the, I don't have to have number one beside my name, um, <laughs> to view myself as a success, but also have the desire to try to get a number one beside their name. Does that make sense? Like, right. So it's a, it's a balance between the two. Right. I don't want anyone to ever be defined by a place, but I do want people that are driven to, to be the best that they can be uh, right. in that sense. So, uh, Raybo, have you come back into the, the land of the I, living? I am. I've been, I've been able to hear everything y'all said. I have four bars currently. Oh, uh, wonderful. Yeah, yeah. So I, I agree 100% with everything you guys have said. Yeah, I mean, I, there's only one guy who's going to finish first in a race. But, like, that being said, as you guys mentioned, like, you know, if, if I run a huge PR in the race, that's still a win for me. You know, running is – it's a team sport, especially if you're looking at, like, cross country. But it's also just, like, an individual sport in that, like, you're racing against yourself and you're racing against the clock as much as you're racing against someone else. So, yeah, you know, if you go out and you set a five minute PR and you're, you know, dead last in the race, that's still like a huge win for you because you went out and you, you know, you competed and you did well, you know, it's kind of like, you know, but Teddy Roosevelt, it's the man in the ring, you know, it's the guy out on the cross country course. So I agree with right. that. So well, a question for both of y'all, cause y'all have been head coaches. When do you, give your athletes the opportunity to get that first place and when do you give them the opportunity to challenge themselves and maybe not get first place but better themselves when do you know what's appropriate i, I, I see what you did there percent yeah it's, it's, it's a one or the other thing i don't know here you uh, tell me so uh, well i think all three of us would agree that we have gone to great distances to find uh people for our kids to compete against to go with the option of finding out how fast they are uh, right. Those of you that are listening in, I mean, we, we have literally driven, you know, eight hours to watch a one-mile race um, and then got in the car and driven eight hours back. So, I mean, we, we were committed to, to that and, and we're able to even celebrate a kid that runs in that race and doesn't win it but has, you know, a 10-second PR. Uh, you know, so uh, I do think that all three of us view that as an important part of things. Um, I have always tried to find a balance um, in our program, we host a home meet that we have been very successful at since we put it on. Uh, in fact, uh, the boys' team has never lost it. The girls' team has lost it once. Uh, so that is one of those meets that um, is a nice kind of place for us to compare year to year, get our kids some confidence, let them feel pretty good about things. Um, and then I look at our district meet as having kind of the right amount of competition for us to get some success. And so for me, those two meets are kind of like the, you know, you can breathe a little bit, you're going against, you know, people just from, from the town. Uh, and then the rest of our regular season meets, we're traveling to really large meets to kind of, you know, test the waters to prepare for what our state meet will look like. That's highly competitive at the top. Mm -hmm. You know, so I, I think yeah. two meets are a good measuring stick for us in terms of letting kids, you know, get to walk away with some hardware. 
Yeah, I mean, from my perspective as a head coach, I just I never had that opportunity. Uh, my, I was you know starting off like building the team for what it was. I, I didn't necessarily have the athletes who were going to go out and win a race, uh, especially with just kind of the schedule I was looking at. I was working the schedule kind of around the high school schedule so that I wasn't missing too many of those races, and so there wasn't races that I could pick out and go, oh, we're going to go to this race and win it. Um, so we would just, you know, we'd go to the races and, you know, I would trim expectations kind of, you know, based off of what we were looking at. You know, there were races where I knew we were going to run fast times. And I would tell them like, hey, let's go out here and run some fast times. And then one race we went and ran, it was the beginning of the season. It was like a hurricane and like they were running like ankle deep water. And, you know, they all ran terrible times. So I was like, guys, we're tossing this one. This one doesn't matter. It doesn't count. We don't care. Like, you know, it's, it's just a bad race. Like, so, uh, you know, I think, Part of it's just also set expectations of what you expect at him at the race. I, I would like to point out for the record that Coach Raybo did did beat a National Coach of the Year's team <laughs> in the dual meets when he first started coaching at LSUS. Uh, so he does not give himself enough credit. He uh, he did actually coach his team to an actual meet victory that I was there to witness. And, and an individual victory <laughs> at that meet. That is correct, you know, and he's also coached a national qualifier for the NAIA. So there, there have been some, some pretty pretty good things that happened at LSUS while Rebo was there. Um, and Prasad, I do want to say, in both cases where Rebo and I are talking, we we have taken teams places and found them to be able to excel even in those harder circumstances. You know, we've gone to races in Arkansas and Mississippi and Texas and things where our teams actually – you know, won races that we picked to be challenging for a right. reason. And then it was, it was uh, you know, an added bonus to see, oh, wow, look how, how, how good they were. Look how much they stepped up in this situation, um, you know, to get that success. You know, so that, that's also part of the deal. So although we want to we wanna have some kind of, quote, unquote, like easier games, I guess, on the schedule and stuff, we're still coaching and looking to win, you know, at, at the highest levels we go and race at. Um, right, because when I was just first starting out with this coaching thing, in my mind, how it worked was if your athletes are, you know, down in the dumps and they're not doing so well, that's when you start giving them the easier races so they see the bigger numbers, see that first place, and that brings their confidence up so they can do better later on. That's what I thought in the beginning. Now I know it's not as simple as that. <laughs> I mean, that would be a, a really difficult way to schedule based on kids feeling in track season. You can, uh, if a kid has a bad race, you could find a way to set them up in a race to, to get some success and cross country. You kind of got to plan a little bit ahead of time. Like, I know this is going to be a tough race. Let's come down and give them like a little bit of, of a lighter race after that. Um, I do have a question from, from that story that I read about the, the Stanford meet. Cause I, I just want to know y'all's opinion. So, Galen Rupp advertised he wanted to break his American record at this race. It was a big deal. They set up the time for him to race it. Salazar's there. A uh, whole bunch of famous coaches and athletes are, are there to witness this. You know, it's obviously broadcasted. Uh, so, Galen Rupp does break the American record. And it just so happens that another guy breaks it by, like, 20 extra seconds. Um, like... The book claims, hey, these guys both broke the American record. That's something to be celebrated. Is that the same feeling? Like, if you're Gavin Rupp, do you walk away celebrating that? 
if, if you're Nick Simmons in the Olympics where you ran the fastest time to ever not get a gold medal uh, <laughs> from any of the other Olympics, like, do you, do you rest on that, or is, or is that somehow get kind of tarnished in this situation? Rebo, you want to take this one if you can? I don't think he can right now. All right, so, oh, what? No, it's you, My reception's terrible. Go ahead. All right, so in my opinion, um, if you have that goal of breaking a record, but then a new record gets set in the middle of that race, even though you may have PR'd, even though you may have broken the old record, I don't think you can walk away from that saying, I've won. Because if you set that goal for yourself, and then that goal doesn't really happen, because in the end, are you holding the record? Not really. So even though you may have accomplished something great, you may have accomplished something that's amazing for you, in terms of what you set out to do, it didn't exactly happen. So he can be happy, but he can't celebrate that one fact. It's, it's very nitpicky, but that's how I feel about it. I mean, technically speaking, he, he didn't break the American record because it got set 20 seconds before he, he finished. So. Right. <laughs> so when you're at that level, you have to be that nitpicky is what I'm saying. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if Raybo agrees or not. I don't know if he can even hear I, us. I, yeah, I, I would agree with that if y'all can hear me. I can now. <laughs> okay. Yeah, mine, mine's a little – I mean, you know, on one hand, it's like if you set out to run under 27.10 and you ran under 27.10, that's great. But, as you said, somebody else also ran under 27.10 and did it faster. So, I think that's, you know, I don't know, not something I would probably celebrate. Uh, I'd be okay with it. I'd be happy that I set out to do what I originally did, but I'd also like kind of have a chip on my shoulder. Somebody else beat me to the punch. I'm, yeah. I'm probably not popping the champagne for this one. Uh, <laughs> so we're all in agreement here is what I'm hearing. Popping the Boone's farm. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, well, thank you for answering that. Like I said, I was reading that this morning and I was just kind of intrigued by the idea uh, about what, what winning really looks like in this sport. So I appreciate the, the feedback on that. So, uh, Rebo, if your mic is working, where do we go from here? Uh, let's talk about uh, the uh, Team Boss Mile. All right. So, first off, let's give a shout-out to Team Boss, much like uh, the Bowerman team, for being willing to uh, actually try to entertain us in this sport and put forth um, some effort to keep track relevant. So, the Boss Mile took place in – what, Indiana? I drove through Indiana yesterday. <laughs> and in Indiana, in the Boss Mile, we had uh, the first trio of girls to run sub-424 in the same race for the mile. Okay, with Corey McGee winning in 421 Uh And let's see here. Which is number eight on Jones. the American list. Danny Jones, 423 in her first year of professional running in uh, 423.33, and Emma Coburn, 423.65. All of them achieving significant personal best uh, to end up in the top 10 of outdoor performers in U.S. history. So, what do we think about these, these ladies? Uh, I think it's super impressive if y'all can hear me. Can y'all hear me right now? Yes, we can. 
Yeah, uh, and I think when you look at their 1500 splits, I want to say Corey McGee was like 401, and then um, like 403 and 404 for Jones and Coburn, respectively, if I'm if I'm thinking that right. Um, so yeah, I think like, these are phenomenal times for somebody who's racing that training, you know, during the middle of the pandemic. You know, Coburn's not really much of a 1500 miler type, so that's some uh, a really good time for her, considering if you look at she's more of a 3K specialist. And then, I mean, Danny Jones, you know, just coming out of, uh, you know, I mean, had things gone differently, she'd have been a college athlete, what, three months ago, two months ago? Right. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, hats off to those ladies. That, that was an incredible job. Well, and I wonder how long we everyone gets to keep saying Emma Coburn is not a, not a miler. Yeah, you know, Emma Coburn is not a middle-distance athlete. When she keeps putting on these performances – you know, at altitude, uh, down from altitude. Uh, I think that, you know, a lot like Jenny Simpson was a steepler and then became, you know, this dominant, you know, 1,500-meter runner. Uh, although I'm sure Emma prefer- prefers the steeple, uh, I'm not sure this is out of her wheelhouse at all uh, just because of, of how well she can do this. And then I also am not sure that the 5K or the 10K is out of her wheelhouse either. She seems to be a – pretty phenomenal all-around athlete um, yeah has she ever competed competed uh, has she ever competed on an international stage in anything other than the 3k steeple or no that i don't a, think she has that was a question that we would we would have to look up but I, ah. as far as her professional career that i've been around but the if you're talking about you know world championships u.s championships and olympic stuff the, the right. steeple has been the, the place it's the only one Okay. There's probably like a Diamond League meet where she's done a 1500 or something. I would have to imagine. I'm sure. Okay. You know, but also look at you know Corey McGee. Uh, you know, has been uh, somebody who has you know been a middle distance runner, training in the 1500. You know, uh, and and getting uh, to do very well in that. I think that Corey McGee actually made an Olympic team. And here you have Coburn coming up and, and almost getting to her. And and really, we should probably celebrate the fact that I mean, Danny Jones. I think she's like a cross country, like college national champion. Like, you know, so being someone who has the wheels to go from the 8K down to the mile, also extremely impressive. I mean, those, those are definitely, you know, two different skill sets. I think when we look at how women have performed in, in this sport, you know, crossover from middle distance to, to true longer distances and stuff, it's not typically the same names that you're throwing out, you know, now, um, it, the sport right now, I mean, I think, you know, Houlihan's a name that we could throw out probably at any distance, and and she, she's a dominating force. But it's good to see a lot of these people. You know, I know Rabo appreciates range. It's good to see a lot of these athletes showing this tremendous range during this time. Well, and speaking of range, like, can we just give a hats off to, like, the New Balance ladies in general? I mean, you got, like – I mean, my goodness, you got Brenda Martinez, who's been like an 800, 1500 meter specialist, who's gone to, you know, world championships and Olympics. We got Sydney McLaughlin, who's, you know, 400 meter hurdleist. We've got, you know, Emma Coburn, Corey McGee, Dom Scott. We have uh, Jenny Simpson. I mean, is there a better women's running team than New Balance right now? I I think that they have done a great job of. Uh, of, of picking the right people for that team. Because the other neat thing, if you follow, you know, this group of, of people being trained, they really seem to genuinely like each other. You know, yeah. we hear a lot of drama coming out of Team New Balance that we hear from some of these other groups uh, that have existed in the past. 
and stuff. Like when they show their pictures of their training, you can see them all supporting each other. When they're uh, when they're running in these races, you know, I mean, uh, you know, Dom Scott, like, you know, she's she's ready to explode on, on the running scene even more than she has. And here she is pacing these girls to help them, you know, accomplish their goals in the mile stuff. So I think that in the people that they have picked, they, they have formed, you know, a group of professional runners that actually operate like a team, you know, which yeah. is impressive in this day and age, you know. I, yeah. Definitely. Even the ones in different camps. And, you know, I think it was a, a couple of years ago, I want to say it may have been when Sydney was still in high school. Uh, if not, it was definitely early in her college career, which I don't think was very long. I think she went pro pretty early. But they set the DMR world record? Definitely American record. I think they may have set the DMR world record. Uh, I think so. I think she was – I, I think she was a high school that ran on that. Yeah, she was like the 400 meter leg, and then right. I want to say like Brenda, Brenda went and did the 800, and I know Jenny was in there, and I want to say the other one was Emma, but I could be wrong. Well, and I, I just love Brenda's story. You know that everything she sacrificed and went through to become the runner that she is. That even though she's a true middle distance person, you know she found Joe B Hill, and although he's you know he's typically known for training these you know marathoners and stuff that she found like the sweet spot with him as a coach uh you know was able to get these accomplishments that she's had so i mean i'm extremely impressed with her story as well so i i just think i mean rainbow you hit the nail on the head like this this group is something to be reckoned with you know from every level it's coming from you know and it's just good to see the success that they're getting without the controversy that we hear all the time yeah absolutely so, uh, so Raybo, tell me about, you know, Garmin, uh, I guess, got hacked and, and, and held for ransom. Uh, As a, a Russian hacker uh, hacked in the Garmin system and then was holding it for ransom for, I think, $10 million. And so you currently you cannot upload, or I think currently they may have fixed it, but for a while you couldn't upload anything to Garmin. So my last upload was not this past Sunday, but the previous Sunday. And some of that was just me being lazy and only uploading like once a week. But yeah, I have stuff just, I'm a watch and I can't upload. I checked it today and it said server maintenance, which is, you know, a fun way of saying we got hacked. Uh, yes, I, I did like that, um, you know, I use my watch all the time and it links to my phone. And so I don't check it very often. I always just hit save and it goes. And so I did like that after I heard about this, when I opened my phone app, it just kept saying server maintenance, and I was like, oh, clever wording uh, for this. So uh, how much do you feel like this is affecting the running world? How many people are dependent on these Garmin's, and, and how is this going through their, their brains? I mean, they said Strava, like the upload rate to Strava has dropped like phenomenal. Because most of the, I mean, you can upload straight to Strava. I could carry my phone with me and hit record, and it'll put it on there automatically. But most people are doing it from a device, and outside of maybe like, you know, an Apple watch, I would say Garmin is the most prolific. And I would say Garmin's probably more prolific than Apple um, in terms of, you know, fitness monitoring more so than just like other than like step counting. So, you know, Garmin's kind of the big, I don't think they're going to take too big a hit, but um, I think that, you know, there may be some people that they lose over this. This was, this was kind of a straw that broke the camel's back for me, actually. I was a uh, you know, I'm in the market for a new watch, and uh, mine is a refurbished Garmin Forerunner 620, and you know it's advertised as having like a 12-hour battery life. And I know when me and uh, 
my wife did the, the 50k for her 31st birthday 31 miles for 31 years I think I died at like 28 or 29 miles at like eight hours or something just like before I could record it so luckily her Carmen finished it out for us um, but yeah I've been you know looking at other brands looking at Santo um, actually when me and Shane were driving back from a, a weekend in the mountains in North Carolina she just started reading through like all these watch reviews and I think I'm looking at a brand called like Qantas or something like that. And they have one that has like a 48 hour battery life while you're doing GPS and it's like 350 and the equivalent Garmin's like $700. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I so, it, almost 400 for my Garmin. Um, and the battery life on it is, is, is pretty legit. I was, I was impressed compared to all the things I've seen when I had my Apple watch, I had to charge it. I mean, almost every like half a day uh, to do anything with it that was worth a darn. And, and so, so, interestingly, as of five days ago, so Garmin went down. They got hit by this ransomware attack five days ago or so, and their stock market prices are back up to where they were. So they took a hit, it dropped, but then it came right back to where it was. So it seems like long term, this isn't really going to hurt them in terms of as a company, but which is surprising are, to me. Are, are we to assume, do we think they paid the $10 million? No, uh, I can't no. imagine. Because, okay, so I read, on, that guy? <laughs> <laughs> I read online that the U.S. put sanctions on the group that supposedly did this. So if Ooh. Garmin actually paid the $10 million, they would be supporting terrorist activity and they'd get in trouble for it. And so those sanctions make it illegal for them to actually pay the ransom. What a genius idea for like a hacker though. Like, I mean, not to like, you know, tout the bad guy, but like, you know, you're thinking of all these different things you can hack and you're like, you know, we should hack, we should make it to where none of these people can upload their GPS data from their watches. That that's worth 10 million bucks. Like, and it's like you threw this whole company for a loop. I do like you and ransomware tech. I just like, I'm picturing some guy in the Garmin office opening up an email. That's like, you know, click here to, you know, get 10,000 from this, you know, Nigerian prince or Russian, you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> I'm sure it was more complicated than that, but. <laughs> it was probably something like, uh, we're the host server and we need your password. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> something that simple. Yeah, <laughs> what was your mother's maiden name? <laughs> they took all those Facebook COVID questionnaires. Like, what was your first pet? What street did you live on? <laughs> and eventually. But I got to give these hackers credit um, just for the sheer fact that I probably heard more about the, uh, the Garmin hack than even like when they stole all the information from like Target and stuff. Like, like being a member of all these like running Facebook groups and stuff and, and being a part of this website, my God, it changed the lives of every runner on the planet when they did this. Uh, so, it, I mean, it definitely is impressive. And if you were going to ask for $10 million from a company that's not you know, one of like the Fortune 500 companies, uh, this was the way to at least get them to think about it because, I mean, th their business is nothing but this and they, you know, they took it away from them. So it's uh, pretty nuts. Yeah. And what I think is crazy is that, so Garmin isn't just about like, you know, running in GPS watches. They're also responsible for like military uh, avionics and stuff as well. So like people who fly planes, and the uh, military depends on Garmin for uh, location services. And so they were worried that that information could have gotten 
you know, exposed. Oh, wow. So this is, this is actually bigger than a lot of people think. So it's really interesting. I love this stuff. I, I, wish, I wish I knew more about it. <laughs> Prasant, you cannot be an Indian who loves the stories about hacking. Ah, that's true. That, that comes with bad things. <laughs> You've just got on somebody's watch list just by saying <laughs> He's like, he's Indian. He must love IT, but now he wants to be a hacker. <laughs> so, well, uh, I think the next thing we want to talk about, we uh, have spent some time talking about the, the male version of all of these unique records that are out there. Uh, we talked about the blue jean mile and the basketball mile and those things. Uh, well, in, in, in fairness to all, uh, we now have a young lady who has set uh, the basketball mile record. So uh, imagine again running four laps around the track while dribbling a basketball the entire time. Uh, Foot Locker Nationals champion Sydney Mascarelli uh, just ran the women's mile world record for dribbling a basketball at a time of 5.08. Are you guys impressed with the 5.08 dribble mile for a female? Raybo? Uh, my service is pretty poor. Go ahead. All right. So at first I heard it and I was like, 508, is that fast or not? And then faulting, uh, you said that she was actually a runner before as well? Yeah, she ran, she's Foot Locker Nationals champion. Okay. So I heard that and then I was like, oh wait, she only ran a 508. That's not very impressive at all. And then I considered the skill it takes to actually run and dribble a basketball. And that changed my mind. And I was like, okay, actually, that is very fast. So I am impressed. That's how I feel. Right, so <laughs> at, at what level percent is a 508 mile impressive for a female? Just, just so I start well, off right. Okay, so if you're a footlocker, a footlocker national, so if you're in that level of running as a female, um, you know, in the fives is good. But if you're going to be impressive, you need to do something like dribble a basketball with it or juggle or something else because, you know, Foot Locker Nationals as a female, uh... All right, so, so I'm, I'm, I'm just asking, all right, on this. So if yeah. a girl uh, runs a 508 mile without a basketball, mm -hmm. you're not impressed. I am impressed in general. <laughs> all right. So, is, but, is she the winner of the Foot Locker Nationals? But if she, if she has Foot Locker or NXN in front of your name, you're no longer impressed with 508. Okay, we're making a lot of generalizations here. <laughs> I, I, all right, so just, just saying. So I, I would not be. We, you would we, not be. So would we assume uh, that, she's, that a Foot Locker champion maybe around, what, 450? Yeah. There haven't been many high school girls that have run under 445. So is 450 reasonable? I'm going to say under five would be okay with me if you're a national, an NXN national champion. Yeah. Okay. Prasant? I would say yes. Okay. So, so Ravos is under five. Prasant says 450 is impressive. So would we not assume that if somebody runs 450, that 18 seconds added to that would be a reasonable amount of time to dribble a basketball while running? Yes, I would agree with that. Yeah. So I feel like this 508 is absurdly impressive for the skill that it would take to, to do this thing right, um, especially because we seemed impressed with the male – that ran the mile with the basketball. What he run, Rebo? Like, like four thirty. Yeah. So so we were impressed with the four thirty mile for the male. 
which I could throw a rock and hit an eighth grader in Texas that can run it. Uh, but the 508 mile for the female was like, eh, maybe, maybe so. It was, it was the footlocker thing that was getting to me for yeah, a second. I think the footlocker championship adds to the, the, the thing. I mean, the, the, you know, the male was like a, 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 a college coach. You're kind of like, oh, wow, a college coach, you know, can not only run 430, he could do a dribble in the basketball. Like, <laughs> does it say what the previous time was? Oh, it, it does not on the, so on the I, that I'm at. That's okay. So I have a if, if hopefully I'm, I'm showing three bars, so I should have pretty good service. I have an interesting thought on this. And does anywhere in this record say it has to be done on a track? Could I just go find a straight road and drill this basketball for a mile and eliminate the oh. turns, which I assume is like the most difficult part? What about or a downhill one? Downhill, yeah. What about a downhill? Well, I bet that would be tougher because the ball would be getting out from under you a lot quicker. I bet that would actually make it more difficult. Because huh. then the ball is bouncing at an angle. Right. Like more of an angle. But that but, means less you know, bouncing effort on your part. I, I feel I like that know. would get out from under you a lot quicker. Um, I just feel yeah. like, you know, obviously dribbling it while running fast is difficult. But, like, even like Nick Simmons was like, the turns were ridiculous. So – Nowhere in it does it say this has to be done on a track. Why don't Why don't we just start getting like somebody who's like you know mildly has some hand eye coordination, put them on a straight road, and let them go? All right, that's a good idea. For the record, because I couldn't help myself, um, the the guy who holds the record uh, for the uh, dribbling a basketball with a mile, because we said putting Foot Locker in front of the girl was making it more impressive, like like less impressive than the guy that coaches in college. The guy who coaches in college uh, was a 351 1500-meter runner. He ran 851 in the steeplechase and was second all-time in the Big East <laughs> during that. Um, he ran uh, 1418 for 5K. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> He's definitely better at 5K than he was at the 1500. <laughs> yeah, definitely. He does seem as such. But, uh, but yeah, so Dylan Sorensen is his name, but uh, – but, yeah, it seems like, you know, maybe the 430, uh, 437, I believe is what it says here. Um, maybe he could have done slightly better himself. Uh, I think I I'm maybe more impressed with the girls one now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sides are turning. Yep. <laughs> so, you're such a sexist. Oh, you know it. <laughs> so, speaking of impressive times, this popped up last week. So, uh, Robin Williams – uh, you know, the genie from uh, from Aladdin. The uh, actor? The, the actor, <laughs> that's right. I know. We're going to shock for Sant here. Uh, but uh, actor, Robin Williams, it turns out, uh, had some, what I think are some pretty impressive PRs back in the day. So in high school, Robin Williams ran 159.4 for 800. Uh, he ran 52.3 for the open 400. And uh, on the 4x4, four four, he split 50.4 in helping set the school record that still stands today for his high school at 321.7. His 800-meter time of 159.4 is the number seven all-time on his high school's 800-meter list. Are you guys impressed uh, that Good Morning Vietnam uh, could run those times in high school? I am, and before Prasant responds, I want to ask him a question. Prasant, what is Robin Williams doing right now? He's not being alive. 
Oh, I would have guessed Taco Bell. You didn't know that. No, uh, I don't. Is it, what is that? What is that a reference to? You know, I don't know references. <laughs> I, I think he was actually just saying he would feed you Taco Bell if you didn't like, if you yeah. didn't this. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, then I was thinking, well, that, that, okay. For everyone listening, I'm terrible at movies and I'm terrible at movie references. So I like to, to think that you would not have thought, I bet Taco Bell is a movie quote. <laughs> I don't, I, it could be. I don't know things. You know this. Right, we should probably start making up like fake movie quotes. For <laughs> it's like snakes that. on a train. <laughs> oh, y'all are the worst. Shark, Sharknado versus snakes on a train. <laughs> right. Snakes on a plane. <laughs> All I know is Morgan Freeman likes to yell the F word a lot. That that yes. So he was also Robin the Williams. president of South it was Africa. Not Morgan Freeman. <laughs> was it not? On the Saints on a plane? Dang it. I don't know. Oh no, Samuel L. Jackson. I know things. I know things, I promise. Yeah, Morgan Freeman was in Pulp Fiction, Prasad. He wasn't in Snakes on a Plane. <sighs> okay. He was the president of South Africa. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, He also was not in Pulp Fiction. That was Samuel L. Jackson. <laughs> I know. He was in The uh... Matrix. <laughs> That's right. No! <laughs> <laughs> Oh, y'all are the worst. <laughs> All right, so I do, I do make the claim uh, that, you know, back to Rob Williams, that if Robin Williams had starred as Mrs. Doubtfire in high school, he'd be a state champion right now. Uh, Versant, do you follow what I'm, I'm putting down here? I, I get what you're saying. He was, a, he was a female in that role, and if he pretended to be a female in real life, he would be fast. <laughs> that's how that works <laughs> and so I, I will say I think that one of the reasons that Robin Williams was so amazing on stage and in the movies is that he had all this energy and this energy may have come from the fact that he was so good at running what if what if what if I, I'm wondering if the runner's high uh, that he got while in high school made him go get the regular high once he got out <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Uh, what a great man. Well, I'm working on that, you know, Rocky Mountain, uh, you know, as John Denver used to sing. Rocky Mountain High. There you go. But but now that's, you know, could be actually mistaken for a drug reference, which it's not. I was just, you know, talking about elevation. Yeah, Coach Rebo is going to go up in the mountains. He is not going to do any illicit substances. Uh, that is correct. As part of this thing. So, all right. Well, uh, Prasant, uh, week after week after week, we ask you our questions. We're still looking for a name for, for what to call this segment. But week after week after week, we ask you questions, and most of them pertain to uh, the rear chain of muscles, uh, the glutes, the hamstrings, the calves. Uh, I want to take a second uh, to talk to you about uh, how important are the quads and what can we be doing for our runners to strengthen the quads if they serve a major importance? So All right. tell, tell us what's going on with the front of the leg so it's not neglected in this. All right. So the quads are actually super, super important when it comes to running. So just a bit of background. The quads, aptly named, are made of four muscles. The rectus femoris, the vastus lateralis, the vastus intermedius, and the vastus medialis. So those are the names of the four muscles that make up the quad. And those are the muscles that help your knee extend and they help your hip 
flex. And so those are the two main things that your quads are involved in. I just now, thought the quad had like four sides. Four, <laughs> well, four sides, but no four muscles. So <laughs> close, but no cookie. Meh. <laughs> so in terms of the quads, what they're important for when it comes to running specifically, the quads are involved in leg extension. All right. So, sorry, leg flexion. And so in the middle of your running, once you propel yourself forward, you have to bring your leg back into the front so that you can, you know, make your next step. And so if you have weak quads, you're going to, you know, inhibit that motion. And in the process, you may end up running too much on your toes, which will lead to more problems in terms of calf tightness and calf weakness and calf injuries. And so quad weakness can lead to more problems down the chain. Also, your quad is responsible for stabilizing your patella, which is the bone in your knee. And so if you have quad imbalances, you know, your quads are too weak or too strong compared to your hamstrings, your patella could track the wrong way and you'll have knee problems as well. And it could even dislocate in some cases. And so your quads are very important in stabilizing the knee and making sure you have the right term, the, the right form when you're cycling through your running. So those are some importances of the quads. Um, Raybo, do you have any fun exercises? Because I know that you're the one that's always injured left and right in, the, in our group here. Jeez. <laughs> oh, All right, Prasad. <laughs> I mean, I am as well. <laughs> I am as well, but you're the one that always has the fancy exercises that even I don't know. Who ran 62 miles last week? No, that's what I'm saying. You, you run more than I do, and you have more exercises at your disposal than I do. So do you have any fun quad exercises for us? lost a month of training when they got hit by a homeless man on a bicycle. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm agreeing with all of y'all here. I'm just saying... Raybo knows more than I do at this point in time. <laughs> so, so Raybo, any fun exercises for the quads that you like? Um, you know, I mean, squats obviously are something they're gonna work. Uh, your quads a good bit. I mean, just kind of a whole a whole muscle there. Uh, you know, step ups, kind of focusing on the uh, you know the uh, extension part. I'll tell you the the big one to not do. Um, and I've uh. You know, there was there was a podcast, it was a Tim Ferriss show I was listening to, and he had on a Ryan Flaherty or Flaherty or something like that. And they call him the Savant of Speed, and uh, he works with Nike to produce. Uh, I think they're like Nike Training Club app and some other stuff, and coaches a lot of great athletes. Works with them, uh, and he actually says like they're like what what like one thing would you not want people to do in the gym? And he's like the leg extension where you go and sit down and hook your like feet underneath the little things and like you do the extension he's like that was the worst it puts so much pressure on your knee and he said that so don't do that to build up your quads that's a terrible idea um you know okay. my wife just said one-legged squats uh, yeah. one-legged squats I, are wonderful very true. i can barely do two-legged squats so <laughs> this is why i will not work out with her <laughs> yes and uh to be fair to Raybo's wife one-legged squats are actually very good because running is primarily a one-legged sport because what you're doing is running from one leg to the other jumping essentially oh i bet and i so... could be a one-legged guy on a race <laughs> <laughs> and so <laughs> focusing on exercises that you know 
have this focus on one leg at a time will make you better at running. So Raybo's wife is 100% correct. I already know that. My wife is always 100% correct. For, for the Smart listeners, Raybo is in the car with his wife right now, and he has learned how to be a really good husband. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's, that's what I have to say about the quads. I don't know if y'all have anything else to add. No, I, I just I felt like we were neglecting that part of the body uh, and just wanted to give our listeners a chance to kind of understand that, you know, every single piece of this is all interconnected and, and understand you got to take care of everything. So, For sure. As some random hippie said on um, Almost Famous, it's all connected. Hmm. <laughs> I, I'm just telling you, I, I wonder if we should just start like a, like a movie podcast because we've We've been killing these references today. Who is we uh, in this situation? Because Prasant is not we. <laughs> two out of three. Uh. <laughs> look, look, later on today, Prasant, just go watch uh, the epic Morgan Freeman speech in Deep Blue Sea, uh, okay. and you'll, you'll get motivated. Okay, we'll do. <laughs> or, or we'll not do. I don't know. I don't know if this yeah, is a joke or not. He also is featured with the, uh, the rapper Ice Cube in that movie. Uh, Ice Cube? Yeah. I, I, fine, fine, percent. How about you can go watch Morgan Freeman in all of the Marvel movies? He's the guy with the eye patch. Is he now? Yeah, <laughs> Nick Fury. Like Samuel uh-huh. as, I mean, uh, Morgan Freeman as Nick Fury. Okay, I'll believe you in this situation, definitely. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's almost oh, not even all. fun anymore. I, I, I'm, I'm telling you. Lying. I know you're lying in this one, okay? I've watched all the Marvel movies. I know it's Samuel L. Jackson. <laughs> oh. you, you can have the cookie. <laughs> okay, I get the cookie this time. I'll seriously buy you Taco Bell if you can tell me who the first Nick Fury was. There was more than one? Yeah. Oh, I think I got well, this one. I honestly didn't know there was more than one. Are, are you referring to when David Hasselhoff played as Nick Fury? I am the Hoff, yeah. What? Wait, what show was this in? <laughs> it's like a Captain America. No, I think it was actually like a Nick Fury, a Fury movie Fury from like TV. the 80s. Oh, yeah. yeah. There, was, there was a Nick Fury show where, where the Hoff played <laughs> Nick Fury. Huh. Maybe yeah, that. there's no chance of me knowing that. Mind blown, <laughs> huh? How about how about both of the actors that played the Human Torch uh, in Fox movies wound up in Marvel movies playing totally different characters? That's true. Wow. Looking for something deep thought. So, all right. Well, folks, that was your movie minute. He's trying to figure out if we're telling the truth or not. Yeah, I'm I'm looking all of this up later on. He's got IMDb pulled up on his computer. Uh, (laughs) That one was for free, IMDb. Well, send us on out of here, Rebo. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, I am nearing the Colorado border to quote my one of my favorite movies. I thought the Rocky Mountains would be a whole lot rockier than this. Um, that was Dumb and Dumber. Uh, also starring but, Morgan Freeman. Also. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. Oh, man. All right. Well, everybody, thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a great week. Uh, we have a special treat for you next week. We went ahead and pre-recorded our podcast since I'll probably be out in the middle of the wilderness trying not to get eaten by a bear. Uh, so stay tuned for that next week. It's going to be a, a, 
I think a, a great podcast from us that we uh, unlike anything we've done before. So thanks so much for listening. Uh, this has been the Wisdom of Coaches with Coach Rabo, Coach Brisson, Coach Falting, and we'll catch you guys next time. Peace. Have a good.